Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, there was a lady that waited until the very last minute to send out Christmas cards. And she had 49 folks on her list. So she rushed into a store and she bought a pack of cards without really ever even looking at them. Still in a big hurry, she addressed the 49 cards and she signed them without even reading the message on the inside. On Christmas Day, when things had quieted down somewhat, she happened to come across one card that was left over. And much to her dismay, here's what it said inside. This card is just to say, a little gift is on its way. Well, could I ask you this morning uh, to go with me as we slow down to really look what's inside the Christmas message? Maybe you've been doing what everybody else has in the hustle and bustle and haven't really stopped to take a look at what's on side. I wonder, could I, could I go and write some things for you here as I pick up a new tool that I have never used before in my life. And I'm going to try something, but is there anybody out there that if you, were to, if you were to have this going on, if you were to see this, would that bother you? You're going to see it come up in a moment, I hope. We're using technology here. I don't know what happened, Elizabeth. It's on my screen. It's not on yours. I'll do it again, because I'm talented. How about that? Does that work? No? Okay. There you go. Does that bother anybody? Well, you know, when people see that, they say, hey, why can't we put Christ back in Christmas, right? Is that what y'all are saying? Is that what you're saying? Is that why it bothers you? Anybody be honest and say that's why it bothers you? You're taking the Christ out? Seems so dishonoring. Well, maybe, maybe if I told you and spelled out something different, what if I were to do this? What if I were to say, what if I were to say that to you? You say, well, that's Greek to me. It is Greek. Thank you. That's the name for Christ. Do you notice what it starts with? The very same letter they were all offended with. So really, when the early church would say and put things for Christmas, they would do it the way that you've seen that was just offensive to you. They would do the X and then MAS because they were saying the first letter of Christ's name is a key or an X, and so they would say Xmas. So really, maybe Christ is in Christmas that way after all. I just want to give you something else to be less offended by this year. Um, but, but here's maybe something else that you didn't know. This is just free. We can take up another offering after this if y'all want to. But since I'm in a drawing mood, I wanted to also show you this. Anybody else seen that? It's like a, a poor representation of a fish. It looks like a whale kind of with a beaten head or something. I don't know. 
Um, but you know, the first early church, they also had a thing that, that this word was, this was fish, but in the Greek, the word for fish is this. It's ichthus. You're saying, what in the world has I got to do with Christmas? Got everything to do with Christmas. So when one Christian would see another Christian in that day, and they wanted to talk about the things of faith, they would draw a fish in the dirt or on a wall and kind of then kick it over and hide it so nobody else would see it. But if the other person reciprocated, they would know, well, wait a minute, you know that sign too. And really, ichthus is an acronym. So ichthus, and I'm just going to write some words up here, some more words. It's going to be... Jesus, does that sound familiar? Anybody know what that might mean in Greek? Jesus, very good. Do you notice that the first letter of that starts with the first letter of ichthus? I've already drawn for you the word Christos, right? So you would know that this word, you would know that that's the second letter, right? So here's the I, there's the key. Well, then what is theos? Anybody know what that is? Say that again? Yeah. So you could pronounce it like that, or we could do it like this for those who want it like that. So theos. So there's the thou. So you got these three letters here. And then guess what this is? That's huios. That means son. So this is Jesus Christ, son of God. And then guess what that last letter is? That's, that last letter starts with this word here, which is soteros. Try to fit it in here. So then this is soteros. You know that to be the word for soteriology or the study of salvation. So this ichthus means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. That's how early Christians would identify themselves. And they would, in the light of persecution, they would just kind of make the sign of a fish on the ground. They'd kind of cover it up so nobody knew what they were doing. If somebody else saw that, they would do the same thing, write that. And so now you understand why we have fishes on the back of our car. That's where that came from. But it's because it's Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's the Christmas message. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but that's really what it is. So if we're talking about all this, and, and now I'm done, you guys can switch back over before I have too much fun with that. So, so maybe it's that Christ really is in Christmas, so if it's a, a key, an X, and a must, most people are offended, in my opinion, they may not understand history, as you may not. That's why I wanted to let you know. People aren't trying to be offensive when they do that. They're doing what the early church did. Now, some people may. But here's what I'm contending to you this morning. I don't know that really many people are, are, are more offended that we take the MAS out of Christmas. I think more people are offended that we took Christ out of Christmas, but they're not that we would take MAS out of Christmas. You know what Christmas literally means? means Christ's Mass. So then if we don't celebrate communion during Christmas, maybe we're the ones that are missing Christmas. In other words, the table 
was in the stable. Christmas, I mean, it's there. It's the, the Christ being born. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. The anointed one, the Messiah, the one that we've all longed for has finally come, but why has he come? He's come to die. That's what Christmas is really about. You, you can't have a true Christmas story and celebrate Christmas unless you have all of those elements. So maybe, maybe we do more injustice by getting upset that people put an X must than that we don't do the must part where there's an X. Luke 2, chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 says these things. You've probably heard these words before, right? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for how many people? For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a what? Who is? And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a what? Now, did you notice that there inside that manger, there inside that, was also the table? Did you see it? Did you, did you pay attention? Because it says that today will be born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Guess what saviors do? Guess what this Savior did? He died for the sins of the people so that they could be made right with God. That is the news of great joy. So the table that we celebrate today was already in the stable. You may not have ever seen it that way. But... If we look at it another place, we'll see this, interestingly enough, in Matthew chapter 1, some other familiar words. In verse 20, it says, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Here it comes. She will bear a son. You shall call him what? Jesus. And he will save his people from their Sins. Do you see it? The table is in the stable. This, this one who's being born in the, in the manger, in the stable, is the one that's headed to the cross that we're going to celebrate at his table. So, which from those verses you may have clearly been able to see the stable more clearly? You may have been able to see in those verses the, the, the elements of Christmas that Jesus came, was put in the stable, there was no room for him in the inn, all the angels proclaiming, the shepherds coming and all that. It may, not, it may not have been as easy to see the table there. But then when we go to the passage that we're going to be in this morning, you may have missed, you may have missed the stable when Paul's talking about the table. So let's look in those verses, and, and just because I think that you could be just getting a little bit sleepy, I wonder if you'd rise to your feet as we read this next passage, as we honor the reading of God's Word in our passage this morning. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, he says, Paul says this, for I received from the Lord. Now notice, he, he didn't just kind of pick this up from anywhere or anyone. Who did he receive it from? Okay, so he received this directly. This is direct revelation from the Lord. That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what, church? Until he comes. You may be seated and may God bless his word. So if you can see it there, the, 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 the stable's there. You're saying, how? Well, thank you for asking because that's where we're headed today. I want to use a Christmas movie to kind of creatively illustrate what's happening here in the text. Here's what I think is happening there. Christmas past. Christmas past says that we remember the crucifixion. Christmas past says we remember the crucifixion. The text here says that there's, there's a body and there's also a cup. Let's talk about that for a minute. This Jesus who was saying this in this text is the same Jesus that was being spoken about by the angels proclaiming that he had been born. But this is incredibly important because you have to understand that the Jesus who was born in that stable did not come into existence in that moment. He had pre-existed before that. So we have to understand that there is pre-existence. There's pre-existence. We have to understand that, first of all, there's pre-existence. So then, what do we learn that from? Well, we find that in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The Bible says in John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God, and He was in the beginning with God. When did God begin? He never had a beginning. He started the beginning. So then if Jesus with God was with God in the beginning, when did Jesus come into existence? He's always been there. See, he's been pre-existent. Now, he came and took on flesh at Christmas, but he had existed before Christmas. John 1.14 says, and the word became what? So the word became flesh at Christmas and dwelt where? Among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what that literally says in the Greek is, is that Jesus is the shining, the shining protrudence, the shining just ramifications of the Shekinah glory of God. So Jesus puts the Shekinah glory of God on display when he stepped in this world and put on flesh. And John 8, 58 says this. John 8, 58 says, I don't know that you have that, and it's okay. It's all right. From our text this morning, it means that the one with the body and the blood is God in the flesh. And this God already had in his preexistence, and he'd already decided something. So, so think with me the Christmas story. You've got to make this make sense. Because God existed, this plan of, 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 of God and Jesus to come rescue the world was something that was decided in his pre-existence. It wasn't decided when he was born because Ephesians 1, 3 through 4 says this. Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in it with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Watch. Just as he chose us in him when." Before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. You know what that tells me? That pre-existence tells me that secondly, there was a promise that happened in pre-existence. There's a promise. 
Those verses we started with this morning are God keeping his promise. When God said that there's one now been born for you unto this day in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, that is God keeping a promise. In the beginning, man walked and talked with God, enjoyed perfect relationship with God and with man, but man sinned, and God told him that if he ate of a certain tree, that he would certainly die, and man disobeyed, and man died physically because he couldn't get back into the tree of life, and he died spiritually because he couldn't get back into the presence of God. But God in his great love made a promise in the very beginning of creation. God himself said, I am going to come and rescue man. And in Genesis 3.15, God makes this promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman talking to Satan, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, but you shall bruise him on the heel. Meaning that Satan would strike a death blow to this one but then this one would crush the enemy's nasty head. Well, then for thousands of years throughout creation and throughout history and throughout prophecies, they began to look for the fulfillment of this promise. They looked and they looked and they looked and the the prophets kept saying, this one is coming and when he comes, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace and the government shall rest upon his shoulders and and the the virgin shall give birth and all these prophecies, uh, prophecies were telling about this promise that was coming until then again our verses and Luke but the angel said in Luke, 10, Luke 2, 10 through 12, but don't be afraid. For behold, now the promise is fulfilled, the good news that I made, of great joy which will be all people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you this one that I promised you was coming, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign, unless you mistake it, you will find this baby wrapped in cloths. Matthew 1, 20 through 21. But when he considered, behold, an angel Lord saying, Joseph, son of Mary, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. This is of God, she will bear a son, you shall name his name Jesus, which means Yeshua, which means God saves. For he will save his people from their sins. This is the fulfillment of the promise that was made in pre-existence. This is what Christmas is all about. But we have to ask ourselves, why would this promise be made in pre-existence? Because thirdly, there is a purpose. There is a purpose. You see, back to now 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I mean, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse, verses 23 through 26. Because Jesus said that when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Now think about this with me. You see, in that text, we have to see that Christmas and the stable are both so very important. Because this body that was born in that stable came, and it tells me, first of all, about the virgin incarnation. It tells me about the virgin incarnation. You see, this pre-existing Jesus, who is God, is the only one who could be born of a virgin. And only God could do that. This is absolutely miraculous, but it had to be that way. Why was Jesus born of a virgin? Well, Jesus says that this bread represents his body. 
But what kind of bread was it? It was unleavened bread. And leaven in the scripture is a sign of sin. So this is saying that Jesus is saying, my body is without sin. My body doesn't have a leaven in it. The only way that anybody could be born with a body that doesn't have sin is to have been born from parents who had never sinned. That is impossible because sinners beget other sinners. This is why the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and Jesus was begotten of the Father so that he didn't inherit man's sinful nature. So this is a virgin Incarnation, the word incarnation is two Latin words. It means en and carnes. For those of you who are carnivores, you know that that means to eat the flesh and meat of something. So this is meaning that Jesus, who is God, came and got into flesh. This is his body. This is his virgin-born incarnate body. This is God in the flesh that Jesus is saying, this is my body. Sinners beget other sinners. Jesus was born of a virgin because only a non-sinner could then pay for the sins of other sinners. So the virgin birth at Christmas is important, but the virgin birth that we celebrate here at this table also has ramifications here. Because unless Jesus was born of a virgin at Christmas, we're partaking of something that is unholy. But the incarnation is also important. You have to understand that only God could pay for sin. Only God could pay for sin because it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And there was no one left to be perfect because all men beget other sinners. And every man since Adam has been born a sinner and no one could ever pay for man's sin. Only God could do that. God had to put flesh on and come pay our price in the flesh because man had to die for man's sin. The one who was spiritual had to become physical so that those who were physical could become spiritual yet again. Unless the Son of God became a son of man, the sons of men could never have any hope of becoming sons of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7 say it this way, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And that is spoken about Jesus Christ himself. Do you see the table in the stable? This was a body that was prepared. But it's not only important that it was this virgin incarnation, but also you have to see the vicarious atonement. The vicarious atonement. Because Jesus not only talks about this body that was broken for us, but he says that there's this cup and it's the new covenant in his blood. Jesus says the cup represents his blood, the blood of the new covenant, blood. There's life in the blood. Jesus had to give his blood. Why? Because the Bible says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There had to be a life given. There had to be a payment for sin, but it had to be the blood of a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb. That's why the virgin incarnation is important because the virgin incarnation now allows for the vicarious atonement. Unless I had a virgin incarnate God, I could never have a vicarious atonement. You're saying, what even does that mean? Vicarious means in place of. It means to take the punishment in place of. It means to substitute one for another. Atonement means to satisfy the wrath of God. 
So Jesus had to be born of a virgin. God himself had to put on flesh to satisfy the wrath of God, which meant a very holy sacrifice. So God himself took our place and satisfied his own wrath. That's why Christmas and this table are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. Did you notice, if you were to look at a piece of bread that's been baked as an entire loaf in the day in the early church, but you can see it now that if it's unleavened, it went inside of an oven. And when it comes out, it has markings on it, brown spots and black spots, because it symbolizes the beatings and the bruisings that Jesus himself took. Bread also has holes all throughout it and all in it because Jesus Christ was pierced for our transgressions. You would also notice that it was striped because Jesus says that by his stripes we are healed. But that bread also has holes in it so that blood could flow. Because the Bible says that Jesus said without his blood there is no forgiveness. So when we come to Christmas, this little baby, this little baby that we celebrate, he was born of a virgin. The details of the story are so important. He was a real baby that grew up with a real body that was a sinless body, that was sinless blood. In other words, the heart that pumped through that little baby's heart would be the, the very life's blood that would wash away our sin. But Jesus Christ did not come into existence at Christmas morning. He preexisted, and there had to be a promise, but there had to be a body to fulfill that promise. And that promise was given so that Jesus could come and be born to die for our sins. Without the Christmas story, we have no crucifixion, friends. Without Christmas, there is no crucifixion. So we must remember that in Christmas past, we remember the crucifixion. But in Christmas present, we remember as a church. Christmas present, we remember as a church. You see, in this text, we see two ideas that we remember as a church. First of all, we see that we practice communion. We practice communion. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the Eucharist. Eucharist is a Greek word, eucharizo, which means to give thanks or thanksgiving. And that's what we're doing because Jesus said to give thanks. He broke it and gave thanks. He took the cup and he gave thanks. We're giving thanks. We mostly get the word communion from a Greek word koinonia. Koinonia means to have something deeply in common. So those of us who are having something in common have a union of that commonality in the blood and body of Jesus Christ. It's related to deep, intimate fellowship. And when we come together to celebrate this table, we are practicing communion. What do we have in common that makes us a union? The very thing that we are partaking of, the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, when we come to this table, we're having communion with each other and also with the Lord. We give thanks, the Eucharist, just as Jesus did for the body and the blood, because we have been given the body and the blood. Because we've been placed in the body of Christ, the universal church made up of all who have ever believed in Christ, we become a part of something that's bigger. We celebrate being one body. We make up one loaf and one cup that signifies the Lord Jesus. And this is because of Christmas and the crucifixion. But Jesus says here in your text, I want to take you back. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this often as you drink of it. For as often as you eat the blood, you proclaim the Lord's death. Can I tell you that those are all plural? Jesus could have been a text and he could have said, I'm doing this for y'all. 
Don't get so individualistic with your faith that you forget that we celebrate as a church, not just an individual Christian. This is about the body that Jesus Christ has formed. Jesus said it was given for you. Jesus came and is Emmanuel, God with us. After the crucifixion and resurrection, he became God in us through the Holy Spirit. So all who have been born again have this in common, that God came for us, God dwelt amongst us, and now God is in us. And as often as we do this, the text says, we're to do this in remembrance. So we come in Christmas present, and we remember as a church, just like Jesus says, we practice communion, but then Jesus also tells us this, we preach the cross. He says there, if you look in your Bible in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim his death. We preach the cross. We preach that Jesus, we preach that he died. We preach how he died and we preach why he died. But do you notice that we also do that at Christmas? We say, tell people that he was born, how he was born and why he was born. You can't take the cross from Christmas or Christmas from the cross. You see, at Christmas, there is a tree, right? You see some of the Christmas trees over here. Boy, could we go off on a thousand different tangents. I could get out my little board and and give you some more stuff here, but I won't. I'm going to summarize some of the arguments very quickly. But some say it's the picture of the Trinity because it's a perfect triangle in some people's minds. That that it's the Trinity. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Some people say that the evergreen tree that this represents is a picture of the immortality of Christ. Some say that the needles on the tree are what symbolize the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. One particular story throughout church history that has a lot more credibility than some of the others is that there was, there was a man witnessing to the Germans in a, in a part of history. And they had these big, awesome trees that looked just like our Christmas trees. But those trees were were idols to their great God. And they just kept raising these trees to their great God. It, It symbolized their God to them. And this missionary went and he cut down. He was sawing down one of those big trees, telling them that, listen, your God can't be like this. This can die. What what good would you have with a God who could die? This needs water. It needs things to to exist. Just enough heat and it would die. No water and it dies. Listen, If I cut this down, would you believe that the one true God reigns? And as he was cutting that tree down, a great wind came and blew the rest of the tree down. And all these pagans began to bow down and worship now the one true God that this missionary had told. And so the tradition says that this Christmas tree tradition came out of Germany. Many of you would understand and know that. But you see, what I'm here today to tell you is I don't care what your story is. I can tell you this. Galatians 3.13 says it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And see, at Christmas time, I don't know if you saw it, but there's a table in that dark stable. And there's a cross in that dark tree. Because Jesus Christ hung on a tree 
to give you and I everlasting life. We know that Jesus became sin on our behalf. He endured the wrath of God for our sin. He bore our sins on a tree on the cross of Calvary. It was with this body that was born into a a virgin's womb and placed in a manger. And through placing faith in that, one becomes a part of the church. So Christmas takes on a deeper meaning and you can celebrate it anymore when you focus on the whole story. Christmas past, remembering the crucifixion. Christmas present, remembering the church. And lastly, very quickly, Christmas future, where we remember the coming, where we remember the coming. Jesus promised his first coming, and he came at Christmas. Jesus also promised his second coming. And three ideas come from the text about his coming, because Jesus says there in verse 26, he he says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus says that we are to remember We're to remember that he's coming. So that tells me, first of all, when Jesus says that he told Paul, he got this from the Lord, and he told Paul, tell him, I'm coming, then I can tell you what I know, that that it's coming. It is sure. It is sure. Do you believe that Jesus can lie? See, if you believe that Jesus can lie, then you might as well throw Christmas away. Because remember, we've already covered this. It's God in the flesh, and Jesus is God, and God cannot lie. If God says he's coming back, he's coming back. Jesus made a promise that he's coming back. And just as sure as I have of his first coming, I can celebrate the fact tomorrow morning that I know that Jesus Christ that I celebrate, he came the first time, he's coming again. You see, Acts 1.11 says this. After Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, these angels gathered around. They said, to the, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up for you into heaven, finish it with me, church. Everybody read this will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Do you see that? Jesus is coming back. It is sure. But not only is it sure, it's also soon. It is soon. Anybody ready for that? Amen. Just like we can't wait for Christmas, we should wait with great anticipation for his soon coming return. And that's what we're doing during this Lord's Supper. We are saying, come, Lord Jesus. We're eagerly awaiting that we are, we are prepared, we are ready. You've made yourself a bride. Come, Lord Jesus, because Revelation twenty two twenty says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know something that Pastor Justin and I do probably almost every other day in our office? We tell ourselves, today's a really good day for Jesus to come back. We look out and see if there's clouds, because we know he's coming on the clouds. We're like, man, I see him. And on those days when there ain't clouds, we're like, well, there's clouds somewhere in the world. He could come today. Amen? See, it'll be sure, and it'll be soon. But did you also know that when he comes, it's going to be a supper? Did you know that? See, another place concerning the Lord's Supper that we've read about this morning is in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. The Bible says that when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But then in verse 29, Jesus says, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So... What's that about? I mean, what's really going to happen when Jesus comes back? What's he talking about? 
Well, Revelation 19, 7 through 9 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Did you know that one day when Jesus comes back, We're going to have the Lord's Supper together as the marriage supper with the Lamb. Can you imagine that day? Y'all think y'all have good Christmas meals now. Man, I can't wait. So this morning, as we celebrate Christmas and communion, we're remembering Christmas future, where we'll be together with the Lord and God will be with us forever. We will be there forever and ever because of the body and blood of Jesus. So Christmas past, we remember the crucifixion. Christmas present, we remember the church. Christmas future, we remember his coming. Now, usually, at the end of a mass in the early church, they would always end it by saying these words, ita missa est. And they would say, literally, that means go, for it is the dismissal. But most scholars believe it means go, now you are sent. What are you sent to do? To go tell the world about the body and blood of Jesus. You see, we are sent with these words also. Luke 2, again, the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why we sing at Christmas time, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. God's help me now. Go tell it on the mountain. Right? We could sing that song. Why could we do that? Because that's what we are sent to do. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus, God saves, has been born. Grace Davison took her four-year-old granddaughter to big church for the first time. She sat quietly in every aspect of the service, and and her, her attentive curiosity stayed in check until the pastor began to pray. And the pastor said these words. He said, Lord, we thank you for your presence the little girls flew, her eyes flew open and she whispered to her grandma, Granny, we're going to get presents? Exactly. Exactly. At Christmas time, we get presents because we have received his presence. God with us, Emmanuel. A body and a blood were given so that we could have the gift of eternal life. So this morning, I'm going to ask my deacons and those that are helping this morning to serve the table to come forward. I've already asked you to prepare your hearts. Now I'm going to prepare the elements for us. So we have to do some preliminary work here. We have to ask this question, who is this for? So let me just quickly tell you that this morning that we believe that the Scripture says that this table is only for those who truly received His body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins. You're saying, well, that seems super exclusivistic. Well, wait a minute, (laughs) because guess what you can do right now? And see, so here's what I want to give you the opportunity to do, church. I really want to tell you, if you've never truly trusted in the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life's blood for you and died for you, was put on a cross, 
was buried inside of a tomb and raised from the dead to forgive you of your sins, if you've never done that this morning, then right now as we begin to pass these elements out, here's what you can do. You can say to the Lord, right before we take those elements, you can say, Lord Jesus, I trust that you gave your body for me. And I believe that you gave your blood for me, that you died on a cross, that you were buried and raised for me. And you can take that and receive Christ all at the same time. And that can be the way that you can participate in this supper. But can I tell you this morning, if you do that, please let me know before you leave this building. Because I want to help you know what's next. But you can, you can come to know Christ right now simply by putting your faith in what you're fixing to receive. Everybody else in this room that's going to take it has already done that. And we're celebrating that. We're doing it in remembrance that God would do that. So you can participate in that way. And then we have to ask ourselves one more question. We have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do and how are we going to take it? So these deacons and those who are here this, this morning, they're going to pass you both elements. And after we have received both elements, I will come back and direct us to all take this together after we pray for a few things. So please wait to take the elements until they are served. So at this moment, I would ask my deacons to pass these elements out to you. If you need a gluten-free piece of bread, we have those. Please let these folks know.